We need to uh, go on the road together, and uh, we'll make it big time. Just kidding. While you're standing, if you would take your Bible and turn to John chapter 15. I'm so thankful for the grace of God, aren't you? Where would we be without the grace of God? Uh, we would all be in a very terrible spot. Uh, so I am thankful for the grace that he bestowed upon us, that he, as the song said, freely bestowed upon us. Wow. John chapter 15, I probably should turn there too. John chapter 15, we're going to read just the first five verses of this chapter. Um, John chapter 15, verse number one says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more, more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Lord, we thank you for this service thus far. We thank you for the opportunity to sing praises unto you. And Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts even through the songs that we were able to sing. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for what, you're doing, what you are doing in this church. And uh, Father, I pray that that would continue. And, and I pray, Lord, as we look now into your word, that uh, you would help us to focus in on what you'd have for us. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to what you'd have for us. Help us to be good hearers, but then to be good doers of your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Several weeks ago, we started this series called I Am, and we've been looking at the I Am statements, the seven I Am statements found in the book of John. The first one was found in John chapter 6 when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And in that, we saw that the Lord is our source of life and uh, he also is only, he's the only one that can bring true satisfaction in life. Uh, and then in John chapter 8 and John chapter 9, both of those chapters, we uh, find when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Uh, and then in John chapter 10, we find two I am statements. The first one was Jesus when he said, I am the door of the sheep. And the second one in John chapter 10 is when he said, I am the good shepherd. Well, we skipped the fifth one. Uh, and we're going to come back to that next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection because it has to do with the resurrection when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to study that next Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at John chapter 14 when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, we learned that Jesus is, uh, he declared and defined the, uh, he defined the road to heaven. He uh, declared the reliability of his word, and he directed us to the resource of his life, if you recall that from last Sunday. Now this morning we're going to look at the seventh I am statement found in the book of John. It's found in John chapter 15 when he said, I am the true vine. In verse number one, he said, I am the true vine. Verse number five, he repeats it for the most part, I am the vine. 
Now, Jesus uses plant life to illustrate the truth about who he is. Now, how many of you would say this morning, I have a pretty good green thumb. Would you raise your hand? How many of you say, I'm the opposite of a green thumb. I kill every plant that I even look at. Okay, that's me for sure, Um, especially after we got the dog that we got. She is uh, basically the enemy of all plants. Okay. Um, Abby. Well, uh, as, as the Lord uses here plant life to illustrate the truth about who he is here in John chapter 15, it is fitting for us to look at this particular one today on Palm Sunday. Uh, because if you recall, it was that Sunday so many years ago when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey as people cut branches palm branches down and laid them on the street for Jesus to go across there on the street. So uh, it's fitting that we would uh, study this particular one on this particular Sunday. Now it's, it's, it's pretty obvious uh, the last couple days, especially yesterday, was such a beautiful morning. Uh, spring is definitely in the air and, and we're, we're eight days into spring and, and uh, signs of spring are everywhere. Uh, especially, I mean, in our backyard, it's, it's pretty evident as well. Uh, we have three, Brad, we used to have four Bradford pear trees, but uh, one of them uh, fell over in one of the windstorms since we've moved here. Uh, so it, it, it looks like there's a missing tree in our, in our yard. Uh, and it kind of looks like, you know, there's a bald spot in our yard. Very fitting for me to have a bald spot in our yard. Uh, it's just like you can't, can't get away from baldness. But anyway... Uh, our Bradford pear trees, beautiful uh, white blossoms all over the place. I think we have a picture of it. Uh, this, this was taken this morning, and uh, just beautiful white blossoms there uh, on that tree. And then, and then we have two of the Oklahoma State trees in our backyard as well. We have two redbud trees. We also happen to live on Redbud Court, and uh, they have these beautiful uh, purple blossoms on them right now, just brilliant, vivid colors and uh, the lighting wasn't amazing so they're even more beautiful than what you can see there on the screen but uh, the sun wasn't up all the way yet and uh, anyway just spring is in the air and this is of course the time of year too when people are thinking about gardening and planting trees and uh, things like that we just recently planted another garden uh, and put up we we had a garden at one point uh, but then you know Abby happened Uh, she she got in, and, and uh, we, had, we had these beautiful grapevines that were doing really well, and uh, somehow the little chicken wire fence, that, the little weak sauce uh, chicken wire fence that we put up, she was able to get past that, and she went and just grabbed that whole thing and yanked it out of the ground, and she just thinks it's a stick to chew on, like a bone or something, and so she ruined uh, both of our... Uh, grapevines. So we're, we're, we're trying again. We just got a couple of new grapevines and we just planted them in. We put a little more firm fence, a little more secure fence around, uh, uh, around that, that garden there and hopefully uh, things will, will work out. Um, well, but if you remember the, uh, the context of when Jesus spoke these words, when Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the true vine, if you remember where he was when he said that, remember last week I mentioned that John chapter 13 through 17 is the record that John gives of what took place in the upper room. Um, some Bible scholars think that it, uh, this may have happened, it, it certainly was 
right after the upper room discourse or during the upper room discourse. We're not exactly sure. I, I, I think it was probably there in the upper room. But it was right after Jesus, if you recall, broke bread and poured the juice in the cup and passed that cup around. I know not exactly very COVID-friendly uh, situation there. Uh, but Jesus had just poured the grape juice into that cup and then passed it around to the disciples. And so it was on that backdrop that Jesus says, I am the true vine. And so there was definitely, he was using an illustration there that they were very familiar with. So this morning, let's look at this statement, I am the true vine. And, and let's ask the question, what does this statement really mean? And how does it really apply to my life today? So let's go through this outline this morning and, and, and let's look first of all of, at the revelation here, the revelation. Uh, Jesus here reveals something about himself in the statement, I am the true vine. And with each of these statements that Jesus has made, he's revealing something unique, something different to his audience and such is the case here. Uh, what does he reveal? Well, this revelation here, first of all, speaks of his comparison with Israel with his comparison with Israel. Several times in the Old Testament, God likens the nation of Israel to a vine. Uh, for sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of them, but I do want to uh, give you a couple examples. Uh, first one is uh, Psalm chapter 80 in verse number 8. Here the Lord is speaking and it says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Now, who did God bring out of Egypt using the, the man by the name of Moses? Well, it was the nation of Israel, or if you recall. They were in bondage uh, in Egypt. And the Lord had called Moses to be their deliverer and to deliver them out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. And so in Psalm 80, verse number 8, it says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. So he took them out of Egypt and planted them in the promised land. And uh, how did they do in the promised land? Well, uh, a couple more passages. Jeremiah in chapter 2 and verse 21. Jeremiah 2.21 says, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? God said, look, I, I took you out of Egypt. I planted you. You were supposed to be the right seed. You were supposed to do well and flourish. But then he says, how then art thou turned into a degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? He said, you're not doing what I expected. Uh, you've, you've turned from me to strange gods, and as a result, you're not being fruitful. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 1 is another, uh, another example here. <clears throat> and it says this, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. Now, we planted those two grapevines, and they were doing really well before we planted them. Uh, a friend of ours told us that it's okay, just plant them anyway. They'll, they'll, they're going to shock, be shocked a little bit, but eventually they'll come back and, and, and do well. Uh, but right now, there's no, there's no fruit on there. They're, they're empty vines. So we can't go and, 
have a couple grapes to eat after church today uh, from those vines. They're empty. Um, now, Israel was supposed to be a very fruitful vine, but here in Hosea, in, in Hosea's day, the, the word of God says that Israel is an empty vine. So, as Jesus says here, I am the true vine, the disciples would have been very familiar with the passages I just uh, mentioned to you. They, they were familiar with these uh, verses and, and uh, these references. They would have understood the concept that the vine is a picture of Israel. And most of the time, and I gave you a couple examples, when Israel is associated with a vine, it was in a negative light. It wasn't complimentary. It wasn't like, hey, you're doing great. You're a great vine. No, no, no. It was, uh, you're empty. You're a degenerate plant. You're a strange vine. Now, so when Jesus makes this statement here in, in verse 1, I am the true vine, he was comparing himself to Israel. But what he was saying was that he, uh, in, in saying that he was the true vine, in other words, when Israel failed to live in faithfulness to God, Jesus completely and totally succeeded in living in faithfulness to God. Jesus was able to say in John 8, 29, I do always those things that please him. So Jesus was successful, whereas Israel was not. Verse number 10 of our passage, if you want to look there, in John chapter 15, verse number 10, it says this, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. And then notice this, Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus said, look, Israel failed, but not me. I'm the true vine. Uh, that, they're, they're the vine. They're the degenerate vine. They're the empty vine. But, but I, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. The word true here means real, genuine, and it points really to his sinless perfection. So in this revelation... Uh, it speaks of uh, his comparison with Israel. But it also speaks, not only of that, it also speaks of our connection with him. Our connection with him. Look at verse number two of this passage. Every branch in me. So there's a connection between the, the vine and the branches. Every branch in me. Uh, then look at verse number four. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse number five. I am the vine, ye are the branches. See, there's a connection between the vine and the branches. Just like uh, you, you look at an average tree. You, you have the trunk, and then you have the branches. The Lord is the trunk, and we as the branches need to be connected to the trunk. Otherwise... We're in big trouble. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If we have a branch up here that's separated from the tree, from the, from the trunk, do you think that that's going to produce any fruit? No, it's not. And so this revelation, it speaks of our connection with him. It's absolutely necessary and critical for us to be connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the revelation. But uh, notice number two here, and this is kind of where it gets down to you and I, and that is our response to the revelation. He makes it very clear he's divine. 
And he makes it clear that we're the branches. What is our response to the fact that he is the true vine? What should we do with that? First of all, first and foremost, uh, most importantly, we need to attach yourself to the vine. We need to attach ourselves to the vine. Look, Jesus is the only source of life. He's the only source of nourishment and strength in this life and in the one to come, by the way. And he has invited all of us to attach ourselves to him. He's made a way for us to be connected with him. And we do this, of course, by believing on him. Has there been a time in your life when you understood that you were a sinner and that without Christ you were on your way to a place the Bible calls hell, the lake of fire? Have you understood that? And, and uh, have you come to a point in your life where you believed on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If not, can I recommend today, Palm Sunday 2021, to make the greatest decision of your life to attach yourself to the vine. If you never attach yourself to the vine, not only are you never going to bear any fruit, but you're also not going to go to a place called heaven. And so I want to encourage you, first and foremost, to attach yourself to the vine. Uh, what's our response to this? Make sure you're connected and attached to the vine. Secondly, we need to abide in him. And that's really the main crux of what he's talking about here in chapter 15, is to abide in Christ. Now, this was a strange thing, because if you recall, it was just a little bit ago that he announced that he was leaving. And so as they hear him say, abide in me, it's like, how are you going to do this? How, how are we supposed to abide with you when you're, you're going to be taken off? You're going to be bailing on us, God, or, or Jesus. What, why are you going uh, to make us now abide in you? How, does, how is that even possible? Well, the word abide here means stay. It means continue to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on this verse, mentioned that the Lord is saying, remain united to me by a living faith. Live a life of dependence on me and obey my doctrines, imitate my example, and constantly exercise faith in me. So he says, I want you to abide with me. Yes, I'm going to go, but you can still abide in me. Because it's not just physical distance, it's a spiritual distance. We need to be close to him and abide in him, spiritually speaking, is what he was trying to convey to the disciples. Okay, well then, how can we truly abide in the Lord? How can we abide in Christ? And uh, he gives us a couple ways here in this passage. First of all, we can abide in the Lord Jesus through his word, through his word. If you look in verse number three, Jesus says this to the disciples. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Um, our children, uh, particularly the youngest one in our family, not going to name any names, but his initials are Mark Timothy Johnson. Um, recently, not, not super recently, but we've had to talk to him as he's grown up 
about when he takes showers, we'll ask him at the end of the shower, did you use soap? And he was like, oh, no. Like, what were you doing in there then? <laughs> What's the whole, that, that's the whole purpose for a shower is to use soap to get clean. Um, now, here's the thing. The soap that God wants us to use on a regular basis, spiritually speaking, is the word of God, right? Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Uh, we need to be constantly uh, cleaning our lives by spending time in God's word. It, it acts as a detergent. It acts as a soap in our life. Um, I love our men and boys camp out that we do. We've done uh, the last couple years, and uh, it's been great. But I, I do look forward to going home and taking a shower and getting that grime and that grease and that. I, I like to get clean. And... Uh, you know, as we go through life, as we go through this dirty world in which we live, how, how long does it take before you take a shower, spiritually speaking? Uh, we'll ask our kids once in a while, hey, when was the last time you took a shower? And they're like, was it yesterday? No, was it two weeks ago? No, <laughs> it's not that long, okay? It's not that long. But sometimes it's a couple days. It's two or three days, and it becomes noticeable, doesn't it? When we're not in God's word for two or three days, guess what? Sometimes that becomes noticeable, too. We become kind of, our attitude starts to, something ain't right here. and It's our attitude. It's our speech. We're, we're, we're talking a little mean to one another. And it's because we haven't gone and cleansed ourselves by having the word of God in our hearts and lives. There is a, okay, so that's verse 3. Let's look in verse number 7. Uh, Jesus says this, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So his words need to abide in us. How are we going to have God's word abide in us? Well, we've got to take the time to read it, to open it, to study it, to learn it, to memorize it. We've got to. So there's a connection here between uh, abiding in Christ and the word of God. So we can abide in him through his word. Verse 3, verse 7, verse 10, here's another one. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Well, how are we going to keep God's commandments if we don't know what they are? And how are we going to know what they are if we don't take time to be in God's word? Verse number 14, here's another one. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Another reference to knowing his commandments, knowing his word, enough to where we're obeying God's word. So there's a major emphasis on the word of God in this passage regarding abiding in Christ. They're connected. We've got to abide in his word if we're going to abide in Christ. Psalm 1 and verse 2 and 3 uh, kind of convey the same thought here. And it says... Talking about the blessed man. His delight, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. So he delights in it enough to think about it. Enough to be in it. Enough to dwell upon it. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law doth he meditate day and night. And here it is. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit 
In a season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So if we're going to abide in him, uh, we have to be in God's word. There, you can't say you're abiding in the Lord, Jesus Christ, and never in God's word. That, there, that, it just can't happen. It's impossible for you to be abiding in Christ and never taking time to open God's word for yourself. And so I want to encourage each and every one of us to have a daily time in God's word where we open it, where we read it, where we uh, learn it, where we study it, where we memorize it, where we apply it to our life. If you're not doing that, you're not abiding in Christ. You can say you're abiding in Christ, but it's not really happening. How can we truly abide in him? Jesus says through his word. He also says through prayer, through prayer. Look in verse number seven. He says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. There's a reference here to prayer. There's a reference to asking. See, what Jesus is saying is, look, I, I'm, I'm saving you here not to just take you to heaven someday and just to forgive your sins, not just that, but to have a relationship with you. And when you have a relationship with someone, what happens? There's dialogue. It's a two-way street. So first, we need to hear from God by reading his word, but then God wants us to talk with him. God wants us to speak with him. Verse number 16 is another uh, reference here to prayer. It says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. There's another reference for prayer. So God wants us, as we abide in him, the only way that's going to happen is if we're spending time in his word and we're spending time in prayer. And he invites us to do that. Look, the, the events of this week that, you know, today's Palm Sunday. And uh, I believe Jesus was crucified on Wednesday and, and was buried on Wednesday and then rose again on Sunday morning. All that he did for us and all that suffering and sacrifice, yes, it was to forgive me of all my sins. Yes, it was to take me to heaven someday when I die. But it was also uh, to make a way for me to have a relationship with God so that I can walk with him and talk with him along life's narrow way. So that I can uh, talk with the Lord. I can come into his presence. I can hear from him and, and, and consume his word and, and, and find out direction for my life. That's why he went to the cross and did all that he did. Not just to forgive me of my sins, though I'm thankful for that. Not just to take me to heaven someday, though I'm thankful for that. He did it so that we could abide in him. And that he could abide in me. Notice in verse number four, it says, abide in me. And this is kind of mind-blowing. And I in you. Remember when uh, Jesus was born? His name was called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. But see here, Jesus goes another step further. Not only is he dwelling among us, 
Uh, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that's, that's, that's a wonderful thing that God would be willing to come down from heaven and dwell among us and to be with us. But here he's taking it a step further and making it much more of an intimate uh, relationship. Not only is he among us and dwelling with us, now he wants to dwell in us. Do you see the difference? Colossians 1 and verse number 27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You realize that the same moment you believed on Christ was the same moment that Christ dwelled inside of you? Now, most of us who have been saved for a long time know that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and that is absolutely true, but, but Christ also dwells in us as well. I don't completely have all the total understanding of how it works, but that's what the Word of God says, so it's true. Christ dwells in me, and Christ dwells in you if you're a believer this morning. What a wonderful thing. So he says here, abide in me and I in you. Okay, so how do we, well, what is our response to this saying of Jesus, I am the true vine? Well, first of all, make sure you're attached to the vine. Make sure you are a believer yourself and that you are connected to the trunk. Otherwise, you have no hope. And those of us who are connected, let's make sure we continue to abide in Christ uh, we do that through his word and through prayer. But then thirdly, and this one is not as near, near as fun as the others, and that is to allow purging in our life. Allow purging. If you notice verse number two, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. This one's not very fun. This one's not very comfortable to have God purge things from our lives. Now, I have here this little plant here. And uh, you might have looked at that this morning and go, well, that's not a very pretty plant. I mean, there's some kind of wild things going on with it. Um, I'm a little jealous of the hairstyle it's got going on right now. I, I wish I had that type of a hairstyle. There, there are some things that are kind of just overgrown that need to be trimmed back, don't they? And so, as a gardener would do, and again, I'm not, I have the furthest thing from a, a green thumb that you could possibly have. Uh, but what a gardener would do, or if this was in your home, it's time to kind of reshape it because it, it needs, it needs to, some trimming right now. And so you might take this branch right here. Cut that off. And that branch is going, hey, I'm doing great. Look how much I'm growing. Why are you pruning me? And you take that off, and this one probably needs to be trimmed. Julie, which, one, which other ones need to be trimmed? <laughs> this one right here? Okay. Because she's OCD when it comes to this stuff. Um, both of these right here? Okay. Boom. Does that look a little better than it did before? Now, it wasn't very comfortable. That, that tree didn't do anything wrong. But the reason we do that, of course, is to make it look nicer. But ultimately, it, when it comes to a vine and when it comes to 
what we're talking about here is so that it will produce more fruit. We don't really like it when the Lord does that in our lives, though, do we? I mean, we, we don't mind doing it to a bush because it doesn't have feelings, but you and I do. And when the Lord does that, he starts pruning our lives and saying, hey, this, this little uh, thing in your life, it doesn't need to be there, so let's, let's take that off. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I liked that in my life. Why, why are you think you can take that away from me? Well, he's God. That's why. And we're not. Robert Browning Hamilton wrote this little poem. I, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. But I walked a mile with sorrow. And narrow words said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. See, sometimes when God allows a trial into our life, God uses it as a pruning tool, a purging tool in our life to purge some things and to teach us some things that we need to know. And is it comfortable? No. Is it fun? No. But it's helpful for us in order to bear more fruit. See, the idea is that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. God accepts us and loves us just the way we are. Aren't you thankful for that? You don't have to change anything for God to love you and for God to save you and for God to, uh, you know, accept you. But once we become a Christian, once we get into his family, he desires to continue to change us, continue to grow us, continue to conform us into the image of, son, of his son. And so the longer you and I are saved, the more we should resemble the Lord Jesus Christ in our attitudes and our actions. Is that being true for you? Sometimes that requires some purging. Sometimes that requires some things that are like, whoa, whoa, I liked that there. Why are you doing that? Well, the master husbandman knows that if he were to purge that, that's going to bring forth more fruit. And most of you who do take care of your own yards and your own bushes and things, you understand this concept. you got to trim them back every once in a while so that they'll blossom even further next season. And yet, it's not very fun. The Lord will many times try to purge some things in our lives, purge maybe a relationship that is hindering and holding us back from doing what God wants us to do, from bearing more fruit. Maybe it's an influence in our life, uh, maybe it's somebody, or maybe it's something that we're allowing in our life to influence us, and God wants to remove that influence in order for us to bear more fruit. Not because he's trying to you know, make our lives miserable, no, so that we can bring more fruit and bring more glory to God. What's all, it's what, that's what it's all about. Maybe there's a habit in our life that we have that God wants to remove and purge from our life. Are you willing to let God purge you, purge that? Some of us have personality characteristics. You know, I, for instance, I'm five-eighths German. And I could go around this life and I can say, hey, I'm mostly German. Therefore, I have an excuse to be super stubborn. And uh, I'm German and just, you're just going to have to live with it. And I'm stubborn. And uh, that's the way I am. I could do that, or I could allow the Lord to purge, my, purge that stubbornness from my life 
to allow me to bear more fruit. See, some, some Christians want to hold on to their certain personality quirks that are negative because, hey, that's the way I've always been, and that's the way God made me, and that's the way I'm going to be. Uh, and yet the husbandman wants to come and say, hey, that's stubborn, Eric. I don't care if you're German, but that needs to go bye-bye. Because you're not going to be able to bear very much fruit if you hold on to that particular personality characteristic. I'm not saying God wants to, uh, you know, he does want to completely change us, right? When we come to Christ, we become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We need to allow God to continue to transform us and to conform us into the image of his son instead of, hey, I'm just thankful I have fire insurance and then beyond that, leave me alone, God. No, we need to have the attitude of, Lord, if there's things in my life that you need to purge, by all means, go for it. It may not feel good, but I know it's going to be for my good. I remember when, uh, and I've shared this a, a few times, but I remember when I was uh, first, after I got baptized, I really started to grow in my Christian life. And one of the things that the Lord was working in my heart about was this area of music. And I had just joined and again, this will uh, show you my age. I just joined a cassette of the month club. Um, it was you you, you you promise to be a part of this club, and then you get a whole bunch of cassettes for like one penny each. And uh, and I so I just joined this, and I had got a bunch of music that my friends and I really liked listening to, and I just started to get these in and listen to them. And 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 during that time, I started going to the Baptist church in town and. And the pastor, every service, it seemed like, would bring up music and rock music and the music I was listening to that I had just gotten from this cassette of the month club. And he, he hit on it, and you know it was like Mother's Day, and he's still preaching on music. I'm like, you shouldn't preach on music during Mother's Day, but he was. And it really was the Holy Spirit trying to say, Eric, this whole music thing, trying to, I'm not sure what to prune now, but... Maybe this one over here, this one, needs, this one needs to go. This is music. And it was like, hey, I'm trying to purge this from your life because I know if I do, it's going to produce more fruit in you. Well, that one hurt. Because I had honestly had spent quite a bit, not just in the cassette of the month club, but I had had other uh, music that I had accumulated from, you know, the, uh, the music store warehouse, if you may remember that. And I had bought a bunch of that stuff, and, and I had it in my top drawer, and I was like, man, if you really want me to get rid of this, this is going to hurt. But I remember finally letting God say, okay, Lord, you can have this. And so that night after church, I went to my room and got a big black trash bag and poured all the music that I had in there. Instead of taking it to warehouse and selling it and getting some credit to buy some good music, I decided that I was just going to dump it and not put it back into circulation. So I put it in, in that black trash bag, went to my garbage can out in the backyard, opened the lid, put the black trash bag in there, closed the lid, and praise the Lord. That was the day that God purged that music, that influence from my life. Now, I could have held on to it, but can I ask you the question? I mean... Do you think I would really be where I am right now if I held on to my music? Do you really think I'd be the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church right now 
if I held on to music and said, God, you can't purge that from my life? See, it's up to you how much fruit you want to bear. And uh, I'm thankful to this day. Now, I had no idea that God would bring me to this point back when I was a, uh, an older teenager. I had no idea. But looking back now, I'm so thankful that I allowed God to purge that from my life. What does God want to purge in your life right now? What's that one thing that God's been pinpointing in your heart recently saying, this has got to go? And you're going, no, 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 that's, that's mine. You, you, can't ha- you can have other, th- just not this. Allow him as the husbandman, of course, he's the perfect husbandman. He never makes a mistake. He never cuts too much off. Like if I were to cut way down here, you'd go, not that far down. God does it exactly where it needs to be cut. He's the perfect husbandman. He knows. So allow him to purge these things in our lives. So what's our response to him being the true vine? Attach yourself to the vine. Abide in him. Allow purging in your life. And as we do, thirdly, and uh, briefly, let me just mention this third thought here, the results. The results. See, one of the main purposes of us abiding in Christ is to produce fruit. Verse number two, every branch in me that beareth not fruit. There's an expectation that we are to bear fruit, to produce fruit in our life. And if we're not bearing fruit, we're not fulfilling a major purpose of our Christian lives. Let's uh, notice a couple things here about fruit. First of all, the aspects of fruit. What fruit in particular are we to produce in our life? Like I know I can't produce apples or oranges, what, what, are, what is the actual fruit that I'm supposed to be producing? Well, first of all, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter number 5, verses 22 and 23. I'm not going to take the time to read through that. But it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance. Those are the fruit of the Spirit that as we're abiding in Christ, the Holy Spirit is able then to produce in our life. So as time goes on, as we abide in the Lord, that is something that should be evident. The people at home should know that you are abiding in Christ because you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit at home. By the way you talk to one another, by the way you treat one another, it should be evident that you are abiding in Christ by the fruit of the Spirit that you are producing. In Acts chapter number 4, as Peter preaches... Uh, a wonderful sermon. At the end of that sermon, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And we all say amen to that truth. Well, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, the very next verse after that. Here's what, here's what it says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. See, it was super evident in their life that they had abided in Christ, and it was evident to those around them. And they were displaying the fruit of the Spirit and displaying tremendous boldness because they were abiding in Christ. What else are we to display? What else, what other fruits are we supposed to uh, produce in our life? The fruit of the Spirit, but then secondly, the fruit of souls. The fruit of souls. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. One of the 
as we abide in Christ, as we spend time with God in his word and in prayer, it will develop a natural desire to reach others with the gospel of Christ. It will put in us a heart and a compassion for the lost to where we're wanting to go out and invite people to our Easter uh, services next week. That we'll, have a, we'll look at people not just in the way, but we'll look at people with a soul that will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And it'll cause us to look at them through the eyes of the Lord Jesus. So as we abide in Christ, it will produce this fruit. Uh, and of course, how fruitful are we in the area of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, instead of me asking you, maybe I should ask your spouse. Maybe I should ask your parents. Maybe I should ask your uh, siblings how well you are producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And how sincere you are and how much you care for souls. What fruit are we to produce in our lives? That's the aspects of fruit. But let's look here at the amount of fruit. As we go through this passage, we see the amount changing and the quality changing as well. In verse number two, he says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. So the first one here is fruit, just fruit. The amount of fruit, just, I'm not sure how much, but it's fruit. He beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth, and here's the second one, more fruit. So again, many times why the Lord will allow a trial in our life, something in our life to purge something that is not good so that it will bring forth more fruit. So we see fruit, more fruit, and then we see thirdly, much fruit. In verse number uh, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So I want, to abide, I want to abide in Christ so that I can bear fruit, but I don't want to just bear fruit. I want to bear more fruit, and not just more fruit, much fruit. But then fourthly here, we see there's also fruit that remains in verse number 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. This isn't just temporary uh, like a little phase that you're going through where you're trying to do right. No, this is a, a remaining fruit that is just the constant of your life that you are producing the, whole, the fruit of the Spirit. The people know, man, there, there's something different about that person, and, and that's just the way they are now. They're, they're different. Fruit that remains. So I want to bear fruit, yes, but I want to bear more fruit and much fruit, and then fruit that doesn't just... Is temporary. I want to bear fruit that remains. Thirdly, uh, we see the aim of fruit in verse number eight. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. See, this is why we exist. This is why you and I are here, my friend, to bring glory to God. It's why we exist. It's why we're here. We're not here to make a name for us. We're here not to make us rich and famous. We're here to make his name great. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's why we're here. It's all about him receiving glory. And when we truly abide in Christ and we begin to bear fruit 
It's not so that we can go, good job, Eric. I'm so great. It's so that we go, Lord, you are so great because I know me and my nature is not the fruit of the Spirit. My nature is the opposite. And so for me to produce the fruit of the Spirit, God, you get the glory. If the Lord allows me then to have a part in someone else's coming to Christ and being saved, it's not so that I can go, boy, I did a really good job witnessing to that person. Boy, I'm such a a good soul winner. No, it's so that God gets the glory. And it's all about Him receiving glory. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So he gets the credit and the glory. All right, friend, he's the true vine. He made that clear. But the question is, are you connected to the vine? Have you attached yourself to the vine by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you abiding in him and allowing him to purge things from your life? Are you bearing fruit in your life? I want to read a quick story and then we'll wrap it up this morning. John Harper He uh, jostled his luggage while helping Nina, his six-year-old daughter, with her suitcase. Harper was a Baptist minister in Glasgow on his way to a preaching engagement at the Moody Memorial Church of Chicago. His wife had died at Nina's birth, so he was traveling with his young daughter, assisted by Nina's aunt, Miss Jessie Leach. After settling themselves in the second-class passenger section, they took off to roam the ship. They felt especially fortunate to be on the maiden voyage of the greatest ocean liner ever built. You guessed it, the Titanic. This was not Harper's first brush with disaster, though. You see, when he was two years old, he had fallen into a well and almost drowned. His mother rescued and resuscitated him by holding him by his heels while the water poured out of his lungs. When he was 26 years old, John was swimming in the ocean when he was caught by a riptide and barely fought his way back to shore. At age 32, Harper found himself aboard a ship in the Mediterranean Sea that was taking on water so rapidly that the crew gave themselves up for dead. He bore other difficulties as well. In the summer of 1905, his health broke under the strain of his pastoral labors and friends grew alarmed at his thin frame and sallow complexion. The next year, his wife, Annie, died, leaving him with tiny Nina. But Harper was a man of deep faith. He said, the fear of death did not for one moment disturb me. I believed that sudden death would be sudden glory. That's what he said. John Harper was born into a Christian home on May 29, 1872, and converted at age 13. By age 18, he knew God had a special mission just for him. Though working at the local paper mill, John found himself preaching the gospel to whoever would listen, often standing on the street corners after work and proclaiming Christ. After several years of personal evangelism and street preaching, he was recruited by the Baptists to oversee one of their struggling mission works. Here, Harper labored for 13 years, watching the church grow from 25 members to over 500 and building a sanctuary that could seat 900. He was known for his intense prayer life. Some nights, Harper would stay at church all night, pleading with God for his hundreds of members by name. In 1910, Harper was called to Walworth Road Church in London, where his preaching skills flourished. The church there grew quickly and souls were added to the kingdom. 
<clears throat> well, there came an invitation from the Moody Memorial Church of Chicago to preach a special winter series of messages. Harper made the trip with great excitement, and the Lord so blessed his ministry there that he was hardly home when the Moody Church contacted him again, pleading for him to return for a second series of services. It was a hard decision, for his London flock didn't want to lose their pastor for another three months. Well, one man, Mr. Robert English, pleaded with Harper to not make the trip, saying that while in prayer, he felt an ominous impression of impeding disaster. He offered to pay for a new ticket if only Harper would delay his trip. But Harper felt compelled to go, and so he boarded the Titanic on April 10th, 1912. Four nights into the voyage, Harper stood on deck admiring the sunset. It will be beautiful in the morning, he said. He was seen later in the evening witnessing to a man, and then he went to bed. Well, in the wee hours of the morning, he was jolted awake as the Titanic plowed into a massive iceberg. Quickly wrapping Nina in a blanket, he carried her to the deck and secured a place for her on a lifeboat. When the ship sank, Nina was saved in lifeboat number 11, sitting on her aunt's lap. For many years, she would not speak of that night, but before her death in 1986, she told of remembering the lights of the ship going out and hearing the screams of the dying. But what happened to her father? John Harper took off his life jacket and gave it to another man, shouting, Let the women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. When the Titanic sank, he tumbled into the freezing waters where he perished. Well, months later, in a church in Hamilton, Canada, a man rose up saying, Well, I was on the Titanic the night she went down. I was thrown into the waters and managed to grab a spar and hang on for dear life. The waters were icy. Suddenly a wave brought a man near. His name was John Harper of Glasgow. He too was holding to a piece of wreckage. And he called out to me, Man, are you saved? No, I am not, I replied. He shouted back through the darkness, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away, but a little later he was washed back alongside me. Are you saved now? He called out. No, I replied. And he repeated, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Then the man said, Then losing his hold on the wood, he sank. And there, alone in the night, with two miles of water underneath, underneath me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And then he testified, I am John Harper's last convert. See, here was a man, John Harper, who attached himself to the vine when he was 13, 14 years old. He believed on Christ. Then he began abiding in Christ and growing in his relationship with the Lord Jesus. He allowed some real serious purging to take place in his life, wouldn't you say? But as a result... He bore tremendous fruit, a fruit that would remain. And he bore fruit even in his last moments on this earth. What about you? Are you willing to abide in Christ? I know it takes time to get into God's word. I know it takes time to pray. 
I know it's not always easy. Our flesh doesn't always want to. But look, it's all about bringing forth fruit so that God will get glory. That's what it's all about. John Harper understood that. Do you understand that? I hope we do as a result of this message today. Let's pray together.